thank you for joining Inside the Room with myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Welcome back, y'all. This is week 10 of being Inside the Room. And I can't help but to thank each and every one of you for liking my page, following me, uh, dropping a note or sending me a text message, or just tuning in every Monday at four o'clock on FUBUradio.com to hear my interview. Uh, and I, I'm, just, I'm just thankful. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, so continue to follow, continue to add value to these very uh, important conversations that we have on a weekly basis, and feel free to drop a note. Let me know what you're interested in talking about and bringing inside the room. Uh, so I look forward to hearing from each and every one of you. But as you know, on last week, last Friday to be exact, President Biden uh, signed into law the American Rescue Act. Uh, and he did that right there at the White House. I know you all were sitting at home, like leaning into the camera, wondering when you were going to receive your funds. Uh, but I am just so very excited. We finally have a leader there in DC making moves and making sure that the people, the people of this world are at the forefront of many of the conversations uh, as it pertains to um, the COVID relief response uh, and making sure folks are getting the help that they need. So we'll unpack that as well. Also during this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about racism. We're going to talk about the uh, ways in which we view our black women uh, in media. And I'm sure last week you tuned in to that amazing interview uh, led by none other than the queen herself, uh, Miss Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, uh, with Prince Harry or Harry and Meghan. Uh, and that was very, very interesting. And then we're going to end off our segment and just reflect um, a year ago, y'all, a year ago, we were faced with this pandemic that we know as COVID-19. Uh, and I just want to reflect and uh, share a few of my own personal stories uh, in hopes that it would jog your memory, uh, your memory to remind you how thankful we are as a people uh, and better days are ahead. So again, join me in gathering people from all walks of life to step inside the room in efforts to gain perspective on how we can educate and uplift our communities. So again, y'all, on Friday, President Biden signed uh, the American Rescue Act, all right, which includes about 1.9 trillion, with a T, trillion uh, in relief uh, to help combat the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, major sections of the bill included state and local uh, education funding, direct payments, unemployment insurance, just to name a few. Because I'm seated right here in the state of Connecticut, um, I, I just want to rattle off a couple numbers just to give you an idea uh, as to the types of dollars being 
uh, allocated to states throughout this country. Uh, state and local aid, we got about, in Connecticut, about $4.35 billion in aid, y'all, with a B, to towns and cities. Um, our schools received uh, several billions of dollars through the education um, excuse me, through the elementary and secondary school relief fund, uh, higher education. I mean, it's absolutely amazing how much money is being allocated uh, to school districts. And the only thing that I would um, sort of insert here is the importance of accountability and making sure that we're not creating uh, these invisible budgetary lines uh, that Essentially, five years from now, the question would be, how are we going to fund, right, these new initiatives that we're thinking of because of this insurge or in sort of influx of, of dollars that we're receiving from the federal government? So we've got to figure out how to make sure these funds that we're receiving support some of the immediate needs, right? We talked about connectivity and I'm talking about education. And the reason why this is important to me is because I have a few legislative proposals before the state legislature here in Connecticut that will tie perfectly into these funding uh, funds that will be available. Um, connectivity, we have educational loss with respect to our students not logging into uh, their classrooms. Uh, there are folks still not eating, y'all, many of our students. And so a lot of these funds will be uh, very, very uh, helpful in the coming days. Child care will receive um, a lot of money. Uh, when you begin talking about uh, child care development block grants, we have rental assistance. Uh, that's about, in addition to the 237 million that was allocated to folks here in the state of Connecticut, we're receiving another 187 million and rental assistance. Uh, and FYI, folks in the state of Connecticut, uh, there will be a program uh, uh, that's gonna roll out in the coming days that's going to, going to support not only the renters, but the landlords as well, all right? Uh, and lastly, lastly, around housing, there is a low-income home energy assistance program. Uh, we call that LIHEAP. Uh, there are close to about $2 million uh, in, in, in funding there for individuals. But here, here's, here's something that's extremely important that each of you uh, will be really happy about. There, there have already been direct payments made okay, to uh, individuals. Uh, so here in Connecticut, we have upwards of about... 3.9 billion that will be coming to individuals in the state of Connecticut alone. Let that sit. So, so what I want to encourage each and every one of you with your $1,400, y'all do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Purchase a laptop. Tighten up on some bills that you haven't paid in a few days. Uh, buy some groceries. Invest. Do something, uh, but just don't go out 
and just carelessly, you know, spend these dollars on some unnecessary uh, stuff. I'll leave that there. All right. Lastly, I want to I want to drive right into uh, the importance of this legislative season. And because this is inside the room with myself, state representative Brandon McGee, I would be remiss if I did not share with you uh, some of the legislative policies, just two uh, that I would like to lift up to you in housing. All right. I know I sound like a broken record to some people who have been following me for years now, but there's a particular bill, okay, that basically provides opportunities for justice impacted persons, formerly incarcerated. And this bill generally prohibits discrimination in rental housing based on an individual's criminal record layman's term it prevents a person from being denied access to housing based on a crime whether it be felony or misdemeanor some 30 years ago can you believe it people are still they've served their time and they're still being slapped in the face with a crime that was committed some 30 years ago and so this bill and I'm hoping that it passed because it will be the first of its kind in Connecticut after uh, I believe the great state of, of Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, or Philadelphia, excuse me, I stand corrected. They passed a bill called the Clean Slate Act. And that basically provided an opportunity for individuals to live life like you would. And it prevents an employer a housing developer or a landlord from looking back into their criminal history a certain amount of time. So here in the state of Connecticut, we're looking at seven year look back period on a felony and a three year look back period for a misdemeanor. Now, I know there are some folks out there that are say, well, I'm a private landlord and I want to know everything about a prospective tenant. Well, guess what? I'm a private landlord as well. The key in all of this is you've got to have a heart. What do I mean by that? Give people an opportunity to redeem themselves. I know you're saying, well, what if they're a child molester? Or what, what if they, you know, they're selling all types of drugs? I got one for you. We've adopted the Housing and Urban Development uh, Law or statute, okay? that will prohibit certain offenses, certain crimes. For example, those who are on sex registries would not be able to live in these types of housing units. Those who were caught uh, with possession of methamphetamine, you are not able to live in these types of housing. And there are a whole list of uh, pro uh, crimes that are prohibited uh, per HUD. All right. So we do have some framework that will allow us to move this bill forward. All right. And then lastly, the other piece is education. I think it's extremely important uh, that folks know that our kids. All right. Uh, and certain towns in certain neighborhoods, the education system is not funded at a, at a, in a way that it really should be funded. And so I put forth a bill that would make revisions to how public education is funded in the state to address issues 
of equity and systemic racism. All right. And so it would essentially revise the education cost sharing formula uh, and allow for those most neediest uh, districts. It will give them the type of funding that they need uh, to provide services to those students that pretty much are predominantly black and brown students. All right. So let's jump into this conversation about Megan uh, and Harry. It was a CBS primetime special, y'all. And it was it was a sight uh, to see if you've seen that entire interview. But as always, I want to preface uh, this particular conversation with a quote. And 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 y'all hear me and hear me good. All right. And I quote: "Called matriarch, emasculator, and hot mama. Sometimes sister." Pretty baby, auntie, mammy, and girl. Called unwed mother, welfare recipient, and inner city consumer. The black American woman has had to admit that while nobody knew the trouble she saw, everybody, her brother and his dog, felt qualified to explain her, even to herself. End quote. And that was by Truder Harris, an activist, a black woman. And she said that in 1982. And it's still very much relevant here uh, today. All right. So let's just jump in. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's extremely important uh, that we know, you know, there were about 50 million, 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 50 million y'all uh, that viewed uh, the couple's interview. Uh, with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, uh, and basically they claim that you know racism and lack of support uh, uh, for Megan and in their marriage uh, drove them, um, basically drove her to like suicidal um, thoughts. And I mean, there was a lot. There's a lot to unpack, and we don't have a lot of time to to, to unpack it. But can you imagine marrying a prince? and feeling like you are in a prison. I can only imagine how she felt uh, in the commentary that came along with, oh, I wonder what color her son is gonna be. What complexion? Or as a matter of fact, I also heard that the security wasn't too kind to them even when they were a part of the family. I digress. Although for many uh, black women war worldwide, the headlines and social media discussions were all too familiar, as we know. With social media conversations qu questioning whether racism affected Meghan's treatment by the British press and the uh, royal family, many black women say it is yet another example of black women or black women's experience with racism being disregarded and denied. That's a loaded statement, but it's so real. I was, I was thumbing through my um, social media page on Instagram and a lot of the commentary that I read was like, y'all surprised? Like why? Why is everybody so taken back? You know about this entire interview about her talking about number one her treatment or mistreatment. Like this, it's been there. It's just slapping us in the face. Like 
what we saw with George Floyd. Thank God there was a camera. Thank God that there is an Oprah Winfrey who's able to use their platform to allow people to tell their story. Oh, and by the way, thank you, Tyler Perry, for offering your space and your security guards. I know there was a lot of jokes around you and Oprah. I get it, but y'all do got a lot of money. But anyway, thank you for what you have been doing uh, to help uh, Megan and Harry. But I want to end here. I want to end here. There is something to be said about controlling images of black women. Check this out. There is an aggressive character uh, in social media that continues to oppress women of color. I.E. Kate prays for cradling baby bump. <laughs> like, yo. I'm sorry, I'm a state rep. Let me clean up. I'm sorry. But really? Like, Here's another one. Megan can't keep hands off baby bump for its pride and vanity. Okay, Kate, Megan. They're both kind of rubbing their tummies, loving on themselves and the baby. But Megan is kind of viewed as this person who is using that for pride and vanity. When did we go there? Is it because of the color of her, her skin? It's not a rhetorical question. How about the victim blaming? Check this out. Tabloids comparisons between Megan and Kate. Y'all know what they are. How about this? Megan often labeled as the aggressor while Kate was praised. Why is that? Why is that? And I mean, I can unpack. It's almost like the small micro aggressions that we go through at work. Here's one. You're very assertive in your feedback on a particular subject matter. Oh, Brandon was so angry when he mentioned that. <laughs> While the other colleague, same aggressive commentary. He was just smart. He was on point and it was just perfect. We've got to stop it. And now that we have the light of equality and equity staring us in the face, we need to call it out for what it is. It's racism. It's racism. I often hear or I heard a good doctor say, <laughs> the only thing that uh, uh, when you begin talking about pre-existing conditions, you know, we like to talk about diabetes and cancer and all this other stuff. You want to know what the pre-existing condition has always been? Racism. So we need to stop it. Megan and Harry, live your best life. Honestly, I welcome you to join us here on Inside the Room to share your story. Allow for these folks and these America, right? These United States to hear your story, but also beyond your story, how you are creating opportunities, Megan, for young black women who look up to you to be who they are. Now we can have another conversation about you being biracial and how that's a whole, a whole nother conversation for another day. But I welcome you to come on our show and to be a part of inside the room and help us to continue to uplift our communities. So here's my call to action. And I want y'all to listen to me and listen to me closely. We must 
rally behind women of color, particularly, specifically, black women, and deconstruct the social norms surrounding their rights and protections. Here's my last call to action. We must also protest and create safe spaces for women of color to express themselves without explanation, without a caveat, without having to, oh, I'm sorry. No, create a safe space for them. In our homes, in our communities, in our churches, in workspaces, our schools, and our governmental systems. Create safe spaces. This is the only way to stop the oppressive behaviors that have been practiced far too long. Will you join me? Will you join me? And guess what? You don't even have to be black to join this. You can be a part of the overall addressing what has been happening for so many years. Join the fight. And lastly, y'all, lastly, it was a year ago, two days ago, that COVID got real. It got real. And even, you know, I'm trying to... I'm going to try not to to cry or get emotional. Um, but, you know, I, I think about I think about my grandmother uh, who I lost at the beginning of uh, the pandemic was unable to see, um, didn't have a funeral. Um, there were also folks who were very close to me who lost loved ones uh, during that time. Uh, it was just a time of uncertainty a time of great fear, um, a time of where am I going to get my next meal? Um, a time of whether or not I'm going to be housed in my home that I've been in for so long because I just lost my job. It got real, y'all, a year ago. I remember um, quickly sitting down with my godfather, who's also my pastor, and saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, our church is seated in the heart of the city of Hartford, where there are so many people who are hungry, who live well below the poverty line. And here we are hit with the pandemic. And we moved quickly uh, to respond to the needs of our families, our friends and our neighbors. And without getting into great detail of all of those initiatives, uh, our feeding program, um, I remember even being reluctant to get a test because there were so many theories, false narratives around, oh, you shouldn't get tested because you might be infected with something if you get, you know, as a result of getting the test. Y'all remember all the stories. Uh, but we were able to quickly respond and get as many people tested on a regular basis feeding and and praying for people and you know utilizing all of our resources to ensure that what small sense of normalcy that we were trying to hold on to folks could hold on to that um and uh, 
12 months later, 12 months, America has lost more than half a million lives um, to COVID. And at least 29 million people have been infected uh, with this virus nationwide. So as we continue now in this phase of being vaccinated and, you know, if you heard our show um, last week, we had um, an expert on to talk about the different uh, vaccines, whether it's Moderna or uh, Pfizer or Johnson and Johnson. Um, if you have an opportunity and you're eligible to get it, get vaccinated, get the shot. Cause it's not just for you. It's for your family member, your neighbor and your friends. So that being said, once again, I am so very excited that you're able to join me on a weekly basis. Remember y'all, this is week 10, our 10th episode of bringing you information around leadership, politics, and culture. As always, continue to join me as we uplift our communities. Peace, and I love you.